Welcome to the Rainier View Christian Church Podcast, where we invite you to pursue God, engage in community, and make a difference. Join us in our series, Worst Superhero Ever, where we learn about how God can use anyone for His purpose. Here's Mike. Hey, welcome. My name is Mike Parejo, and I'm so glad that you are here because we are starting a brand new series called Worst Superhero Ever. And I'm so excited as as we jump into it. Um, But as I got thinking about the series, tied a little bit, like there have been a lot of... uh, strange comic book superheroes over the years. And, uh, and and I did a little bit of research, but but one that came to mind immediately, and I don't know if you saw this, but when I was a kid, I would watch the Super Friends on Saturday morning. And the Super Friends, it was Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman and Aquaman. And then there were these twins. They were called the Wonder Twins, and their names were Zan and Jaina. And Jaina's power was awesome. She could turn into any animal that she wanted to. By the way, these two twins, like, they invented the fist bump, by the way. But, so she could turn into any animal, including like a dragon. And Zan's superpower, he could turn into water. Like, that, that was it. Like, he could, he could become a form of any kind of water in any shape. And I just thought, like, man, like, she got all the good gifts and you got hosed. Not, not, a great, not a great superpower. There's way worse ones, though. There's this guy that he has maybe the worst name of any superhero I've ever heard. His name is called uh, Arm Fall Off Boy. Yep, that's his name, Arm Fall Off Boy. His superpower, he can take off his arm and hit somebody like, like it was a bat, which leads me to ask the question, like, why didn't he just carry a bat? Like, then he could have two arms and a bat, but whatever. Uh, and then the third one that I thought was just particularly useless, this guy, and his name is the Color Kid, and his superpower, um, he can change the color of anything. Why that's useful, I'm not really sure. Now, these, these so-called heroes, they're not all that super. When you think about real superheroes, like, Batman, the Dark Knight, or Wonder Woman, or Thor, or Spider-Man, like real heroes. And and there's one hero who is particularly awe-inspiring and terrifying all at the same time, both to his enemies as well as to his uh, allies sometimes. And so we're going to check out a quick clip of that. I am a god, you dull creature, and I will not be bullied by that. Puny god. Okay, if, if you're not familiar with the big green guy, that is the Incredible Hulk. And in that movie, The Avengers, you know, he's normally mild-mannered Bruce Banner, a doctor who, uh, you know, pretty much science experiment got wrong. He gets transformed. And so when he gets too angry, he turns into this huge green Hulk monster. And, uh, and well, when I think about his favorite activities, like, you know, Hulk's dating profile, you know, favorite activities, smash, smash, and smash like that's that's all that he does hulk smash and he goes for it and so watch out if you're in his way and it doesn't matter if you're on his side or not you don't want to get in the way now before there was ever the hulk there was a hulk like person that we read in the bible you know his his name is samson and yeah he was there way before the hulk was ever drawn up in the comic strips back in 1962 and 
his origin story is actually really cool. Samson, not, not the Hulk. Um, so his origin story, you know, his parents are unable to conceive. And then one night an angel comes to his mom and says the following. This is from Judges 13, verse 5. You will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite, dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. So you may have a question after we read that verse. And that question might be, what is a Nazarite? Like, I've never heard of that before. Like, that's a great question. I'm really glad that you asked. So the, this Nazarite, this, this was a person, uh, it wasn't necessarily like a kind of, of person or you know, a tribe or anything like that. This, this was just a person that had taken a special vow to God called the Nazarite vow. And, and it, was a, it, was a, it was a vow of devotion. I mean, the word Nazarite, comes from the word Nazir, which is translated to devoted. And so a Nazarite would devote themselves to God for a certain length of time to be of service to God. And so as part of this vow, there was three things that you were making a vow that you would not do in the duration of the vow. Number one, nothing from a grapevine. So no grapes, no raisins, and the big one, no wine. Okay, like... And that was huge because in their culture, like wine was pretty much a regular part of meals and they didn't have a ton of options when it came to beverages. And so that's huge. The second thing that they couldn't do, is you can't cut your hair during the duration of the vow. So whenever you start it to whenever you finish, hair's got to keep growing. And then the third thing that you couldn't do is, is you couldn't touch any dead bodies whatsoever. So not just humans, but, but any kind of a dead body was a no-no. You couldn't touch it. Now, Samson's vow was different because Samson didn't actually take the vow himself. You know, and sometimes parents could make that vow for their child. But in this case, we see that, that God is the one who is actually having Samson take this vow even before he's born. This is a special kind of vow because God has a special kind of service for Samson. And, you know, the Nazarite vow was for a certain length of time. And that was true for Samson as well. It started at his birth and it would end at his death. So that, that, that was true as well. And, and so he gives him this special service of being a judge. Okay, and that's where the book of Judges gets its name. Now, when you and I think of a judge, we think of somebody in a long black, uh, you know, robe sitting behind, you know, this bench pounding a gavel in a courtroom. But that's not what the judges of Israel were. No, the, the judges had a different role altogether, okay? They were the liberators of God's people. And so when God's people found themselves being enslaved or, or being oppressed, then God would raise up a judge to go forth and liberate his people. And this is what he was calling Samson to do. And, uh, and I wish I had more time to go into more detail and kind of how this works, but I'd invite you to go and check out our brand new podcast, the Rainier View Christian Church podcast. You can find it on every platform that's out there that's got podcasts. But I go into about 10 minutes worth of kind of background information on the book of Judges that you may or may not find interesting, but that, that, that's beside the point right there. But, but in order to fulfill this role of judge, God gives Samson super strength. Okay, it, 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 like an actual superpower, like he's got super strength to be able to deliver God's people. I mean, can you even imagine what it would be like to have that superpower? It's just crazy. Now, unfortunately, Samson did not take 
the role of judge very seriously. Instead of freeing God's people from their oppressors, Samson simply felt free to do whatever he wanted. And so we're going to pick up his story in Judges chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. His father and mother replied, Isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me. She's the right one for me. So instead of fighting the Philistines, Samson decides to go to one of their towns. And while he's there, he sees a woman that he really likes. And he just makes the snap decision, I'm going to marry her. She, she is the one. And so he heads home and he tells his parents about this Philistine woman that he's going to marry. Go set it up. And they're like, well, ho hold on. Like, a Philistine woman? That, wait, wait a second. Can't you just find somebody from our own people to marry? Now, don't get the wrong impression. This has nothing to do with race or biracial marriage. Okay, there's, there's nothing wrong with biracial marriage. Biblically, there's no issue there whatsoever. The issue that his parents have is that this, this Philistine woman is of another faith background. That, that God made it very clear when the Israelites were to enter into the promised land, they weren't to intermarry with people of other faiths. Okay, and, and he did that because he wants what's best for his people. And, and when somebody, uh, you know, of, of their faith who believes, uh, you know, in, in their God, you know, marries somebody else who believes in, in a different false God, God knows what happens. It, it, it takes the person who believes in him and it draws them away. Their heart is drawn away from him. And so they're like, you can't do this. But Samson does not care. He knows what he wants and he wants it right now and forget it. I mean, he literally says, she's the one for me. He is so convinced. See, his, his, his desire, which to be honest, his desire is based on lust and lust alone because he hasn't even talked to this woman yet. It's just based on what he has seen, how she looks. You know, and that desire somehow takes over from any desire he would have had to obey God. And, and this decision actually leads Samson down a really bad road that doesn't come to completion for a few more chapters. But we're going to see over these weeks just kind of where this one decision actually takes him in his life. Now, we can all identify with Samson in some way. Maybe not exactly what he's dealing with right here, but we've all acted impulsively. We've all listened to good advice from people that really care about us and just said, nope, my way is fine. Even if we know what God wants, we kind of say like, okay, that's fine for other people, but I'm still going to do what I want to do because I'm still pretty convinced that it's right. You know, I've done this several times in my life. Uh, several thousand times, maybe. Like when, when I was a kid, I, I was at a, a store, the equivalent of, of Target, and uh, there was a matchbox car that I wanted, a little 99-cent car. I just decided to take it because I didn't have any money. I knew that stealing was wrong. I mean, I, I knew in my heart what I was doing wasn't right, but I really wanted that car, so I took it. When I was in middle school, I would study for science and math tests, and, and I'd study really hard, but I'd get into the room, and then I'd start freaking out, thinking that, like, I'll never remember all this stuff, and, uh, and so my eyes would start to wander during the test to my neighbor's papers to see, like, I'm sure they're both smarter than me. I want to see what they wrote down. I knew that cheating was wrong. I knew it in my heart, but I still did it in the moment. Even as I got older, like I've worked both in Silicon Valley in the tech industry as well as in churches, and in both areas, 
I've had bosses that have made me angry. You know, they've done things and said things that I didn't think were right or I thought that maybe I was mistreated and I needed a vent. And so I would go to a coworker and tell them like all the things like, I can't believe they did this. I can't believe that, that they said that. I can't believe that we're gonna go this direction. And, and in my heart, I, I knew that I, this isn't right. Like I should just go and talk to my boss about it. But in the moment, I just wanted to vent and let somebody else know what a knuckleheaded decision had been made by my boss. So we, we've, we've all been there. We, and we find ways to justify in the moment what we really want. But what we really want in the moment is rarely the best thing. So this chapter continues, and, and afterwards it says that Samson and his parents are, are heading uh, to this town of Timnah, and at some point his parents go on ahead, and as Samson's walking along the path, he is met by this young lion that is roaring at him, and we don't know who attacked first, but, but the scripture, like, we see his first episode of super strength. Something happens, he gets the lion, and he literally tears it in half. Whoa, like, can you imagine being that strong? I mean, I couldn't tear apart my daughter's stuffed animal or lion. I, there's no way I could pull that apart. He takes the real thing and rips it in two. And then he just leaves it behind and doesn't tell anybody about it. He decides, I'm going to go and we need to get this marriage arranged. And so this next passage, we're going to pick it up in verse 8. But this, this takes place a couple months after this episode with the lion. So Judges 14, verse 8. Sometime later, when he went back to marry her, he turned aside to look at the lion's carcass, and in it he saw a swarm of bees and some honey. He scooped out the honey with his hands and ate as he went along. When he rejoined his parents, he gave them some, and they too ate it. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey from the lion's carcass. Now, I don't know if this is the first time that you've ever read this passage, or maybe you grew up in church and you've heard this several times, like... All I can say is that it doesn't matter who you are, how many times you've read it, what's up with the bees and honey inside of a dead lion? Like, that doesn't make any sense at all. Like, how is that even, I mean, that's just weird. Like, is that, is that real? I've never seen anything like that on National Geographic. But I did some research. There is a species of, of bee called the vulture bee, and they feast on the rotting flesh of dead animals. Gross, but, but true. So, so this isn't out of the realm of possibility, but, but the bees, that's not really what matters. What matters is what Samson does. He looks down and he sees this honey inside the lion and he goes like, hmm, honey's pretty awesome. And he reaches right inside it and grabs it and starts to eat it. Okay, re remember the whole Nazarite vow thing? Can't touch dead bodies? That, that, that's out. So he breaks his sacred vow to God to get this momentary pleasure of honey. It's like, couldn't you just wait to get to town and, and get some honey there? Like something else sweet, like really in the moment, but, but he doesn't care because Samson just impulsively goes for what he wants in the moment. And then when he goes and he meets his parents, he gives them some of the honey and he causes them to sin because they've eaten this honey that's been inside of this dead animal. He doesn't care. The vow apparently isn't very important to him. And so he heads into town. It's time for the wedding feast. And apparently at this point, Samson doesn't really have any friends. Big surprise the way that he acts. But, but he goes into town. And so they, they bring aside like these, these 30 companions. They're all Philistines. And they start this wedding feast. And they're partying. And it wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me at all if they're all drinking wine. Because 
that's what you did at these wedding feasts. Like there was, there was so much wine and it wouldn't surprise me at all if Samson is partaking of this wine. Okay, like doesn't say it in the scripture, but it wouldn't surprise me that he also would decide to break his vow. And amongst this parting, he's hanging out with these guys and he gets this great idea. I'm going to tell him a riddle. And so we're going to pick it up in Judges 14, verse 12. Let me tell you a riddle, Samson said to them. If you can give me the answer within the seven days of the feast, I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. If you can't tell me the answer, you must give me 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. Tell us your riddle, they said. Let's hear it. And he replied, out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. For three days, they could not give the answer. So Samson, again, just decides in the moment to give in to whatever he wants. And in this moment, uh, he, wants to, uh, he wants to win a bet. And so he decides, I'm going to tell these guys this riddle. And I don't think that was that unusual at these wedding feasts. They would, they would tell each other riddles and things like that. But, but Samson is sitting there going, okay, there's no way that they can figure this out. I mean, there's no way that they're going to know the answer. And I'm going to get me a whole new wardrobe because they're betting 30 sets of clothing. He's sitting there going like, man, I'm about to win 30 sets of clothes. I don't have to do laundry for a month. Although let's be serious. You think Samson did his own laundry? Not a chance. He totally made his mom do it. He's a jerk. Anyway, so he tells him this riddle again. Out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. Now, if you've read this before, you know the answer, or maybe you haven't figured it out yet, but, but he's talking about the lion and, and the honey. So he literally creates a riddle off of his broken vow to God so that he can make a profit right now. I mean, it, it, it's unbelievable what, what he wants to do. And he just, he just goes for it. And so he tells them the riddle and, and they can't figure it out. So the, the week is going by and these guys are getting angry and like, I, I don't want to pay up that bet. This guy's a, guy a tool. Like, and so they, they go to Samson's future wife and they threaten her. Okay, you're going to get that answer for us. And if not, we're going to kill you and your father's entire household. So you get us that answer. And so she is terrified. She goes to Samson and she begs and she begs and she begs until he finally runs. Like, fine, fine. It's a lion and honey. Okay, just get out of here. And she goes to the 30 Philistines and tells them the answer. And then, of course, they go to Samson like, hey, we've got the answer. We put our 30 minds together. We, we got it. It's, it's, it's a lion and honey. Out of the eater, something to eat? Of course, it's a lion and honey. That's, that's what it's got to be. Of course, Samson isn't buying it. He, he knows that they pressured his wife to get the answer. And he's so angry. Well, let's just say he goes straight up. Hulk mode. So we're going to pick it up in verse 19. Then the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. He went down to Ashkelon, struck down 30 of their men, stripped them of everything, and gave their clothes to those who had explained the riddle. Burning with anger, he returned to his father's home, and Samson's wife was given to one of his companions who had attended him at the feast. Now, ironically, this is the very first time that Samson has begun to fulfill his role as a judge. You know, he, he, he takes out these 30 Philistines, but he doesn't do it for, for any righteous reason. He doesn't do it to deliver his people. He does it because he's really ticked off about losing a bet. And, and this is just him pure anger. He's, he's Hulk mode. 
He's, he's angry that he lost his bet. And so he goes to another Philistine town, kills 30 guys so he can get their clothes and just like, fine, here, take it. You won the bet, whatever, get out of here. I mean, I, I can't even imagine what those clothes looked like. I mean, I just picture all these bloody clothes that they're handing over and the guys are like, this is the last time I'm betting with Samson. Like, this, this is just dumb. And he's still so angry that he stomps off and he goes home. I'm, 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 I'm leaving. He gets out of there and he goes back to his parents' house, doesn't tell his, his, his wife or their family or whatever. And so his wife's father just assumes like, okay, like Samson doesn't want any part of you. So, well, we're already having a wedding feast. And he finds one of the 30 guys and says, okay, like, hey, you should marry her. And, and he marries her off, which is wild to me because this whole thing got started because Samson saw this woman and impulsively decided, I'm going to marry her. She's the one for me. And he walks away, leaving the one behind. You see, this is what happens when we focus so much on what we want in the moment and we don't consider what God might want for us. We get so laser focused on the thing that I have to have right now and I need it so badly that, that we don't take a step back and think about what might God have. I mean, God's Spirit gives Samson just this inhuman strength and yet he is so focused on his human desires. And we see these desires actually described a little bit later on in the Bible in, in the book of Galatians. And so we're going to jump ahead there to Galatians chapter 5 and it's described as these acts of the flesh. So I'm going to pick it up in verse 19. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, in today's passage, we saw several of these attributes true of Samson, like he was living out these acts of the flesh in his life. But if we're really honest with ourselves, several of these are true in our lives at various times. Maybe right now you're, you're dealing with one of these things. You know, these acts of the flesh, they occur on impulse. Again, it's what I want in the moment and I'm not thinking about how it might affect other people or my relationship with other people, or even my relationship with God. All I'm focused on is getting what I want right now. And so maybe for you, maybe that means that you burst into Hulk-like fits of rage. Or, or maybe it means that, that you're going to seek the instant gratification of a physical need, like when Samson went after the honey. Like, did he need the honey? No. Did he want it? Yeah. So he went for it, no matter what it meant. You know, or, or maybe you know, it's something that to fulfill an emotional need, I'm just going to lash out and I'm going to speak angry, and I'm just not going to think about it, whatever. Because I've been hurt, because I'm jealous, because pride is going on. Like I'm, I'm just going to speak out because it'll make me feel better in the moment. But again, it's only momentary satisfaction. When we act on these impulses, yeah, we might be satisfied, but, but it doesn't last very long. And then afterwards, we feel either guilty or we feel ashamed, or I'm left feeling empty or unfulfilled. The list goes on and on and on. And what we discover is that what we desired really wasn't all that desirable. You see, God wants more for us. God wants the very best for us, the very best. Instead of the acts of the flesh, 
God wants something different coming out of our lives. Okay, and it's described as fruit, kind of this, these fruits that'll grow out of us. So let's keep reading in Galatians here, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. See, that's what God wants for us. Instead of acting impulsively and, and, and doing what I want right now, God wants something greater. But God's expectations aren't that we would just be able to try really hard and be like that. Like, okay, like, I'm going to be more patient this week. I'm going to be more patient. I need to be patient. Like, he's not asking us to work really hard. He wants to empower us by his spirit so that we can become that way as, as we live in obedience to him and listen to him and his spirit is going to see that fruit grow within us so that we can bless other people as we live that way. You know, it doesn't come from effort. It, it, it comes from surrendering to God and letting him work inside of us. And, and we will dis, we'll discover that our deepest desires are met as we walk with God. You know, as we walk with him, as, as we get to know him, what we'll start to see is that our desires are going to start lining up with God's desires for us. And that's a very satisfying place to be. And so I want, I want you to consider this as you head into your week. I just want to think about as, as you leave wherever you are right now and you kind of head out into the world, think about the types of situations where you tend to act impulsively. When you kind of see something and you just do it or you just say it or, or whatever. Think, think about that. Where are those where are those places? Like, are there certain places where you tend to make more hasty decisions? Are there certain days of the week or times of day where like, you, you tend to act more impulsively? Are there certain people that when you're with them, you tend to act more impulsively? You know, and, and whether you believe in God or you believe in Jesus or you believe in aliens, you are gonna find yourself in these types of situations this week doesn't matter what you believe in, you'll find yourself in them. And so I want you to consider a question, okay? And, and the first is going to be a question. They're really going to be these, these sentence questions that, that, that are in the form of a prayer. And I want to address the followers of Jesus first. And when you find yourself in one of these situations where you are tempted to act impulsively, I want you to ask this, Jesus, will this bring me closer to you or will it lead me away from you? See, if you can just take a moment to ask Jesus that one sentence question, I have a feeling by the time you finish the question, you'll probably already know the right answer of whether this thing I'm about to do is going to bring me closer to Jesus or if it's going to cause a wedge in our relationship. I think you'll know. So you have to ask that question, Jesus, is this going to be bring me closer to you or is it going to push me away? Now, if you're not sure what you believe about God or, or you believe in God, but you're not sure about Jesus or, or church or whatever, I, I want you to ask a, a different question and, and even be willing to ask it to God. E even if you don't believe that he's real, what if you just ask this question? God, will you give me the wisdom to know what is best right now? Now, you're not likely to hear an audible voice from heaven. At least I've, I've never experienced God in that way. But, but you may find the answer that you're looking for 
if you ask God that question. And if he doesn't answer you at first, you can ask him again later. That's okay. And, and you can ask as many times as you want, and, and you may discover that you get the answer that you're looking for. I just want you to remember that no matter who you are, God wants the best for you. And as we trust his guidance and follow his ways, we are going to discover that we will have our deepest desires met. Thank you so much for watching today. I invite you to come back next week as we continue this series, Worst Superhero Ever. Thanks for joining the Rainier View Christian Church Podcast. Be sure to hit that subscribe button to be notified for all future episodes. Be sure to connect with us on socials at Rainier View CC and find out more about us at rainierview.org.